Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church. Well, good morning. <laughs> good morning. Last service, I actually, when I got up to preach, I was like, I sat stuff down and then I wanted to get a drink of water and everybody got really quiet before I got my drink of water. So I had to awkwardly do that. So thank you for talking so I could do that before um, we got the message in. But my name is Becca and I am one of the pastors here. And this morning I'm actually going to preach on generations. And so um, everybody's enjoying the hot weather, right? Okay, but the idea of snow right now isn't that bad, right? Okay, so I have this picture from when I was a little girl, and it, it's of my mom. And I was a little girl in the 1980s, and so my mom, of course, has permed hair in this, in this picture. But it's of a snow day. And my mom would come downstairs, and the light is just starting to, um, it's just starting to get lighter outside. And she gets on all of her snow stuff, and she pulls on these old navy blue mittens that I think she still has today, and gets her hat on. And then she goes out, and she snow blows all of our neighbors' driveways. They were, they were elderly. And, and I got to watch all of this through the window until I got a little bit older. And then she would grab a shovel, and I got to go with her. And so as I talk about discipleship this morning, that's one of the pictures that comes to mind for me. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we just thank you, God, for this opportunity to dive into your word, Father. And I just thank you, Lord, that this would not just be information, but that it would be revelation that leads to transformation in the only way that it can by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, I just thank you that you would um, have me get out of the way that you would have your way, Father, and that all of the glory this morning would come to you in Jesus' name. Well, I have a lot to go over. I didn't say amen. Amen. Um, I have a lot to go over this morning, and um, when I was practicing the message the last couple of days, I, I never was able to complete it in under two and a half hours. So just sit tight. Uh, we'll have you out of here in two and a half hours. I'm totally kidding about that. Um, I've only got a couple of minutes here to share with you guys. And by the looks of it, it looks like you guys could have been preaching to me on Generations because you guys showed up. This is awesome. So Generations matter to God. There are over 150 references in the Bible to Generations. And when it comes to the Old Testament, Generations were generally seen from a biological standpoint. So the very first time that God tells man what to call him, how we should address him, this is what he says. He says to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. And then in the New Testament, it's still biological because God chooses to introduce his son, Jesus, the Savior of the world, through his genealogy. So the very first book of the Bible is Matthew, and it opens up with Jesus' genealogy from Adam all the way through to him. So God still cares about our biological generations, but now it's also spiritual. God has now expanded his family through adoption. We have been made children of God through Christ. 1 John 3, 1 says this. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called 
children of God, and so we are. So one thing that I want you to understand this morning is you may be a part of a family that has served the Lord for generations, and that is awesome. But you may be the first person in your family to serve the Lord, but you have spiritual mothers and fathers who have gone before you for centuries and centuries and centuries. So you are not alone. So people are meant to be the image bearers of God. And there are some characteristics of God. There are some of his attributes that we can carry alone. We can image bear alone. So my parents were visiting this past week, and um, my sister was with us, and we ordered um, food from Chick-fil-A. Everybody say Chick-fil-A. Woo! Okay, we ordered from Chick-fil-A, and my niece wanted some extra fries. And so I saw my sister get a mischievous look in her eyes, and she said, sure, Maddie, if you can get Grandpa to rub your feet in less than a minute without asking him, you can have some more fries. And so Maddie looks at her and she goes, okay. And she goes over to my dad and my dad's sitting on the couch reading a book and she sits down right next to him and she puts her cute little feet right up by his hands and within three seconds, he is rubbing her feet. <laughs> my dad is affectionate. He's tender. He does not need me to help him show off God's love of tenderness and affection. He doesn't need that from me. We have um, Courtney and the entire Ignite team. They are phenomenal teachers. They are great teachers. I mean, my kids have to listen to teaching all week. And then Sunday afternoons, Sundays, we kind of just, they get to do what they want. And Sunday afternoons, they drop everything to get to Ignite. Because the team makes it fun for them. They make it exciting. They love to teach and they do it well. And they don't need my help to show off God's heart for teaching. We've got Ruthie Hall, who's 11 years old, and she serves back in the nursery with the kiddos. And she does not need my help to put on, put on display God's heart for service. Some elements of who God is, we can image bear alone. But an element of God that none of them can display by themselves is that God is a generational God, and the church should be a reflection of that. The church has to be a reflection of that. When we started Life West in the school that Samuel was talking about, um, when we started Life West, we had people who were instructing us on how to launch, and they said, look, we've launched tons of churches. You will not have people more than 10 years younger than you with you, and you will not have people more than 10 years older than you with you. They said people just, and they, they don't want to go to a school. So good luck, but it's just going to be you guys in 10 years either direction. And we just said that that's not acceptable. And we prayed and prayed and prayed because we believe that people will worship anywhere as long as they can worship in spirit and in truth. And we also knew that it was unacceptable that we didn't have generations because the body of Christ cannot image bear God's heart for the generations without generations represented. So what is the importance and the purpose of biblical generations, biologically and spiritually? What is the purpose? There are a couple. The first is to pass on a history and a permanence of God's faithfulness throughout the ages. Deuteronomy 32.7 says this. It says, remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. 
Ask your father and he will tell you, your elders, and they will explain it to you. We are a part of something so much bigger than us, and it has been going on forever. And then the next reason that it's important is because it's, it helps us recognize that generations extend into the future. Luke 1.50 says, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. So we are also a part of something that is happening right now and will go on far after we are gone. So the purpose of generations is generations are meant to continue the growth of the body in Christ. Because success in the church is succession. Believe it or not, it has nothing to do, success has nothing to do with butts and seats. Absolutely nothing. And it has everything to do with us discipling the next, congregate, uh, the next uh, generation. David Kinnaman says this in his book, Faith for Exiles. He says, what is important is how many Jesus followers we're raising up that are resiliently faithful in the face of cultural coercion and who live a vibrant life in the spirit. But here's the thing. Generations are not automatic. Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 12 says this. God is talking to Moses about the promised land. And he said, it is a land. It is a land with large, prosperous cities that you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig, and you will eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. When you have eaten your fill in this land, be careful. When you have eaten your fill, be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Things do not get passed down without intention and implementation. And here's the thing. It is easy to forget God's faithfulness. It's easy. I broke my rib in May when I was mountain biking. And I, I mean, everything hurt. Everything hurt. It hurt to breathe. It hurt to walk. It hurt to stand. It hurt to lay down. At one point, I... Um, I was reading, it was literally the night that it happened, but I was reading, and so I'm sitting, like, reclined in bed, you know, but not all the way down, and I'm reading my book, and then I'm like, okay, I'm done reading, and now I'm going to lay down. So I'm like, okay, just scooch down. And I just sit there, and my body will not just scooch down. <laughs> like, I'm like, I need to lay my head down, but my body won't scooch down. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll just roll over to the side and put my legs off the bed, and then I'll stand up, and I'll move down, and then I'll sit down, and, and I'm thinking through, and so I try to roll over, and I can't roll over, and so I'm thinking about this whole situation, and I'm in so much pain, but I can't move, so I start to cry, because I'm thinking, this is just so pathetic, and then I'm, I'm thinking through what Samuel, who's laying next to me, what is he thinking? Like, here I'm just sitting next to him, still, just crying, and I'm thinking, man, he must, this must look hilarious, so I start to laugh. Have you ever laughed with a broken rib? It's horrible. <laughs> so I'm laughing because this is so pathetic. And then I start crying even more. I cry more. And then I'm thinking, this looks even more funny. And so I'm laughing. And I'm literally, I am laughing, crying, laughing, crying, laughing, crying. And Samuel finally looks at me. And he's like, babe, I, I don't know. I don't know what to do with this situation. <laughs> like he wanted to help. But how, how do you help? And here's the thing. At first, when the pain started going away, it was just an hour. And then it was a day. 
And then pretty soon a week went by with me completely forgetting the pain that I had been rescued from. It is easy to forget the pain we've been rescued from. And God knew that that would be the case. And so he cautioned Moses. So Moses raised up Joshua. And Joshua's generation was the first generation to set foot in the promised land. They were the ones to get all of the blessings that Moses had been told about. But we, the word says this in Judges 2.10. It says, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, so after they had passed away, another generation who grew, grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. The very thing God had warned happened, and it was only two generations later. And it's easy for us to look at that and kind of judge that, but then I think through Thanksgiving. Anybody eat a lot at Thanksgiving? Yeah, okay. Anybody ever had like a food coma, like a Thanksgiving food coma, right? This is where we like eat our fill, then we fall asleep on the couch as the Lions lose to the Packers. Subtle dig, subtle dig. But here's the thing. When we're hungry, there's an urgency, right? It's like, oh my goodness, we even have a word for it. We call it hangry, right? There's an urgency when we're hungry. But when we have eaten our fill, we can lose that sense of urgency. When we have eaten our fill, we can get lazy. And God had said to Moses, he said, look, Moses, you are going to be tempted to fall into a blessing coma. You are going to be tempted not to tell the next generation what happened. You are going to be so full. You are going to be so blessed and so satisfied. But don't allow that blessing to stop you from telling the next generation where God brought you out of. We cannot allow the blessings that we have to shut off our voice and our message of God's faithfulness to the next generation. And here's the thing. Faith is passed generationally with intention. Succession happens through discipleship. So in other words, discipleship is the vehicle for success in the church. And what is discipleship? Discipleship is the process of making someone like Christ. Discipleship happens when we walk together, when we welcome others on our path, when we snowblow the neighbor's yard and then bring our daughter with us. Jesus discipled. Mark 3.14 says, He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. He took his disciples with him to ensure that they understood the message so that they could pass it on. Paul did the same thing. He didn't just teach in the synagogues, but instead he welcomed Timothy and he brought Timothy with him and he said, hey, you are going to need to be trained. You need to know what it is to follow Jesus and to follow me because you are going to have to equip the next generation. 2 Timothy 2.2 says this, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So you guys know I love mountain biking. This isn't a secret. If it is, then it is the world's worst kept secret. I love mountain biking. I'm pretty okay-ish at mountain biking. Um, and I had a friend send me a link to a race, and he was just like, hey, you know, you should do this race. And my response to him was this. Mm -hmm. 
me doing something while someone is watching me. That's pretty much how it goes with mountain biking. I'm pretty okay unless you're watching me. I'm pretty okay at cooking unless you're watching me. I'm pretty okay at singing unless you're watching me. But here's the thing. When it comes to discipleship, people have to be able to see us. They have to be able to witness how we are doing what we're doing. And here's the thing. You might still crack an egg over the wrong burner. You might still get it wrong here or there. But our job in that is to say, watch how God helps to bring me through this. Watch what he will do. So which generation bears the burden of responsibility? Which generation? Deuteronomy 6, 20 through 22 says this, In the future, your children will ask, What is the meaning of these laws, decrees, and regulations that the Lord our God has commanded us to obey? Then you must tell them, We were, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his strong hand. The Lord did miraculous signs and wonders before our eyes. Both generations have a role. And here's the thing. Generally, when we're thinking about this, we, we hear that and we think, okay, I'm, I'm a part of the older generation. Or we classify ourselves, oh, I'm a part of the younger generation. But if there is a generation alive that is spiritually further ahead than you or biologically older than you, then you are a part of the younger generation. However, if there is a generation alive that is spiritually behind you or younger than you, then you are also a part of the older generation. So keep that in mind as I share this. So for the younger generation, the scripture I read says, in the future, the children will ask. We need to make a point to ask faithful generations their testimony. We cannot be spiritually lazy and type it in a search bar. Look, I understand. We are the first generation that once our physical needs were met, we didn't need the next generation. I can find a great strawberry rhubarb pie recipe online. I can learn how to change the oil on my car. I can ask, I can ask the search engine any question that I want to, and I can probably get an answer. But here's the thing. When it comes to our faith, we have to have the testimony of the generations that have gone before us. We cannot get that from a search engine. In a 1965 sermon, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. could have been talking about today when he said this. He said, how much of our modern life can be summarized in that arresting dictum of the poet Thoreau? Improved means to an unimproved end. We have allowed our technology to outdistance our theology, and for this reason, we find ourselves caught up with many problems. Younger generation, do not allow your technology to outdistance your theology. We have to do what the word has commanded and ask the generations that have gone before us. Ask what the meaning is. Why do we gather with the body of Christ on a Sunday morning? Why do we prioritize the things of God? What is the point of prayer? How did you make it through those challenging times? How did your faith stay intact? We ask. And then we listen. 
We're a generation that's been hyped up on having our own voice or speaking our truth. And the thing is, we will need to be able to do that to pass it on to the next generation. But there is a time to listen. And it is so important. We need to listen to the testimony of those who have gone before us. And then we start building our testimony by weaving it in to that testimony. For the older generations... We need to get out of our blessing coma. And one of the things I love about the body at LifeWest is we do that really well. We have generations of people who serve, who share their gifts, who share their wisdom, and that is something that is so valuable. And for that generation, we have to stay out of a blessing coma, we have to tell the next generation about God's faithfulness. Psalm 78 is absolutely beautiful. It talks about us sharing our testimony with the next generation, but I'm going to go ahead and skip on down. Um, he commanded our ancestors to teach his faithfulness to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set it's hope, anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles. And the first thing I want to say is don't assume that the younger generation doesn't want to hear. Because the younger generations are often more willing to be challenged than we are willing to challenge them. And passing on a legacy, passing on a legacy is, is inevitable. Every single person in this room will pass on a legacy, every single one. But what will yours look like? There was a painting done by Adolf von Menzel called Frederick the Great Addresses His Generals Before the Battle of Luthen in 1757. Von Menzel took years to capture each detail painstakingly with his paintbrush. Every single detail, and then he died. And when he died and the canvas was found, he had died without completing the king. The most important piece of the painting was left undone. You will leave a legacy. Don't paint in work, career, hobbies, finances, and forget to point in to forget to paint in a legacy of faith to the next generation. It is absolutely critical. Now, I love watching endurance sports and especially endurance running. And one of the people that I really love to follow is Courtney DeWalter. And last year, she actually ran a race, and she ran the American portion. They do it all over the world, but it's called Big Dogs Ultra. And it's an, it's basically a trail running race, but the guys and the girls all run together, and she won the entire event. Now, here's what the event is. You run a 4.167-mile loop every single hour until the last person drops out. So you don't know how far you're going to run. You just have to wait till the last guy drops out. And so she won it in 68 laps. If you do the math on that, that's 283.3 miles. 
For a finish time of 56 hours, 52 minutes, and 29 seconds, she's amazing. And this weekend, she actually ran a race that was much, much shorter, but it was around Mont Blanc, which is in France. And so it's a mountain race, and she had to do a full loop. It was over 100 miles still, but um, she ran through all these little towns. And I actually have a clip. It's not the best quality, but just kind of hang on with me. I have a clip of this. So here she is running. And people cheered her on the whole way. There were huge crowds the entire time. She has videos that she put up of the places she went through at night, and people are still cheering for her. They give her food. They give her water, high fives. Sometimes she even got hugs. And I love that she is being cheered on. Hebrews 12.1 says this. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with endurance the race set out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Here's the thing. I think often the reason that the next generation can't get past the sins that tangle them up is because they cannot hear the great cloud of witnesses. So older generation, we have to speak up. We have to speak up. Something I want you to notice about that video is there was not a single person who stood out in front of her and said, Courtney, stop. Stop. This is going to be too hard for you. Stop. 100 miles, that's too much. This is a mountain, Courtney. Sit down. You know, you're not going to be able to do it. You're going to, like, come on. Nobody did that. Everybody was cheering her on. Nobody did that. And they knew it would be hard. They knew what she was doing. They understood the challenge. And here's the thing. If you happen to find yourself thinking that the culture that we live in is too hard for the next generation, that it's too hard for our kids, that they won't be able to navigate a relationship with Jesus because the culture is just too tough, then I want to challenge you to do three things. The first thing is change your stinking thinking, as my father-in-law would say. The second thing is pray. And the third thing I would challenge you to do is to read some biographies of Christian heroes. Read Augustine, Bonhoeffer, Graham Lincoln, King, Washington. Because when you do, you may see that our circumstances appear far less severe than we think. We are not the first generation that has had to navigate politics and faith. We are not the first generation that has had to address issues of sexuality. And this generation is up to the task. They are up to it. Remind them of that. Jesus said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not overcome it. He did not say that he would build his church until 2021 and then all hell would break loose and he would throw in the towel. He didn't say that. He said he would build the church and hell would not win. 
Our kids are up to the task. This is a generation that will not back down from sharing the gospel because God has put it in their DNA through admittance into his family. So don't you dare bemoan the circumstances that they are in because God has equipped them and discipleship will equip them. And we can do it. We can equip them as the body of Christ. And they are the only way forward for the body of Christ. We are not going to be here forever. We have to pass that on. And we have to let them know they can do it. It will be challenging, but they can do it. Now, one of the reasons that I am so passionate about discipleship is because I have been discipled well. And I was talking with my leadership coach a couple of months ago about you know, how do we get across the importance of discipleship to, to the church? And how do we do that in a way that looks authentic? And he said, well, who has discipled you well? And what has that looked like? And so the first two people I thought of who disciple me so well are my husband, Samuel, and my mentor, Kirsty. And he said, well, what does that look like? And I said, you know, when you're a kid and you're, you're getting things wrong, but you're trying, and... <laughs> Your dad sees you get it wrong, and you both know you got a lot of growing to do, but you can get up in his lap, and he can comfort you even though he knows you have growing to do. That's what it's felt like for me. So how do we disciple? We share our testimony. You don't need to be perfect, but you need to be pointing. You need to be pointing always to Jesus. We must constantly be pointing the people that we are discipling to Jesus. And then parents, hear me. The church does not replace your discipleship in your kids' role, in your kids' lives. The church does not replace your discipleship. The church should resource you in that. Because fathers and mothers are God's primary vehicles for discipleship and evangelism of the next generation. The word says, in the future, when they ask, we must say we were slaves, but God rescued us. Nobody in this room was a slave in Egypt, but we have been slaves to our own desires. We have been slaves to our own wills. How did God rescue you from that? Share that, and then be present and be available discipleship isn't convenient. It's not convenient for the person discipling and it's not convenient for the person being discipled because it takes time. It's the messiness of figuring out schedules. It's the messiness of being there and saying, I don't know, and walking the path together. It requires slowing down. There's a Finnish proverb that says, God did not create hurry. Hurry is anti-God. I was listening to a message this week that Craig Rochelle did and in it he reminded us That Jesus never ran. Not one time. Never. And he had plenty of things that were urgent. We need to slow down and take the time to disciple that next generation. David Kinnaman says this. He says, experience in Jesus is found along a relational pathway with family, friends, and other people who love and experience Jesus. We are loved into loving Jesus. You can go ahead and close your eyes and bow your heads. Father, your word says in Psalm 90, verse 1, it says, Lord, you have been 
our dwelling place throughout all generations. And Father, this morning, we come before you. We thank you for your faithfulness. Father, we thank you for the things that you have brought us through, Father. And we stand here and we commit that we will not forget, Father, and that we will pass that down. We will pass your faithfulness down to generations. This morning, I just want to take a minute. And if you have not made Jesus the Lord of your life, we want to give you that opportunity. And here's the thing. When you raise your hand to receive Jesus as the Lord of your life, you are not saying, sign me up for a life without trouble. You are not saying, I want to serve Jesus and not be challenged. Because there are challenges to serving the Lord. But he is good. And you will be a part of a family. He is a God who loves us. He is a father who cares for us. The Bible says that he is the source of all comfort. And so today, if you would like to make Jesus the Lord of your life, we're going to pray a prayer. But I want you to just go ahead and stick your hand up in the air. Right now, just go ahead and stick that hand up in the air. And we'll, we'll pray together. I want you to repeat after me, both in the room and online. Father, we come before you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the sacrifice he gave. We turn from our sins, and we recognize our need for Jesus. We lay our life down at his feet, and we give him our all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church.